Amen. Okay, so First Peter chapter 1. I want to focus on um, basically the last three verses. So from verse 23, 1 Peter 1, 23, which reads, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as a flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. And the title of my sermon today is the inspired, preserved word of God. The inspired, preserved word of God. Because this King James Bible is inspired and preserved, isn't it? And it is the word of God. Uh, let's go to the Lord in a quick word of prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the King James Bible. I thank you that you preserved it to us like you promised. Um, please help us to just have attentive ears and attentive hearts. Um, help us just, just to strengthen us in those things which maybe we already know, but just to remind us of, of just... The, you know how amazing it is that we have your word in English for us to be able to read and trust and in Jesus name we pray all of this amen, amen. okay so in this church we believe that this King James Bible contains the very inspired preserved inerrant words of God don't we um, we don't believe that it's just our favorite translation we don't believe that it's just the most accurate translation we believe that it is the word of God um, why? Well, it's pretty simple because we trust God, don't we? We trust God in this church. Uh, keep a finger here and turn over to Isaiah chapter 40. So the book of Isaiah and chapter 40. Because God promised to preserve his word. And when God promises something, I don't know about you, but I believe him. I believe God. And in 1 Peter 1, he's, he's quoting Isaiah 40. Uh, from Isaiah 40 verse 6, the Bible reads... The, the voice said, cry, and he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as a flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Shall stand forever. That means that God's words didn't disappear, did they? It didn't disappear for over a thousand years and then suddenly, fortunately, get dug up. That means that they will always be there, doesn't it? Shall stand forever. No matter how many governments, how many kings, how many rulers, how many people have tried to ban it, burn it, change it, destroy it, you name it, it shall stand forever, God said, didn't he? Now, shall stand forever doesn't mean that they were only in the originals, does it? It doesn't mean they were only inspired in the originals. You ever seen that on Statements of Faith? Yeah, I've seen, you know, I've been looking at statements of faith for many years on different churches when trying to find churches and how many, oh yeah, we believe in the inspiration in the original manuscripts. And you're like, okay, straight away we've got a Bible changer here. Um, no, shall stand forever means that the word stands forever, doesn't it? Okay, not just in the originals. And, and look, we, of course, there's inspiration in the original manuscripts. Okay, we believe in Bible inspiration here, don't we? Um, turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Because 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Okay, that's all scripture, isn't it? All scripture is given by inspiration. What is inspiration? Well, it basically means that God breathed it. Okay, God breathed. Hebrews chapter 1, you're in, and verse 1 says... God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. So God spake by the prophets, yeah? God spake by the prophets. It was God speaking through them. So if you back over to, go back to 2 Peter chapter 1, Hebrews 1 said, God, who at sundry times spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. So did they just say, you know, just relay what they heard as accurately as they could? No. You couldn't trust some sinful man to do that just to kind of give the general gist, try and remember what he said. Well, 2 Peter 1.21, sorry, go to, go to 2 Peter 1, sorry, not 1 Peter, 2 Peter 1, and verse 21 says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost is the one moving them to say what he wants them to say, right? Okay, it's the Holy Ghost moving them. He's controlling it. Turn to Acts 1, because inspiration basically means that the words of the Bible are written by God. Okay, the words of our Bible are written by God. Acts 1.16, and a lot of this might just be a refresher for some of you. 
Acts chapter 1, verse 16, we read, Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the, now listen to this bit, Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. So the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake. So who's speaking the Holy Ghost? by the mouth of David. It's not David just repeating things, trying to remember what he said, he spoke by David. Now remember, 2 Timothy 3.16 said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So what would be the point of God inspiring it all if it then disappeared? What would be the point in any of that if it then just disappeared? More to the point, why would it disappear when God promised that it wouldn't? Okay, God clearly promised that it wouldn't. So is it just the King James Bible, though, that promises preservation? Anyone ever wondered this? Well, what do the other versions say? Well, go back to Isaiah 48, 40 verse 8, that is. So Isaiah 40 verse 8. So I should have told you to keep a finger there. Now it said, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Yeah? Okay. Right, the NIV says in Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Sounds like it's enduring, it's going to stay there. The ESV says the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The New King James Bible says the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Now, they're three of the most popular. They're three different types of modern so-called translations. But you've got basically three of the most popular false perversions, because that's what they are, of the Bible claiming that God's word will stand to endure forever. Yeah? So they're claiming it. So considering that all of these false Bibles are based on two manuscripts not used until the 19th century, the Texas Sinaiticus, as they're known, and Vaticanus, so how on earth are they then saying that it shall stand forever? It makes no sense, does it? So how, where was it standing? Buried somewhere in a vault in some sort of Catholic monastery or whatever it is? It doesn't make any sense, does it? But they're, they're claiming it from their Bible. So it's not, oh, well, the King James Bible says that. We don't believe in preservation. Well, their Bible says it's going to be preserved. It shall stand forever. Now, they will argue sometimes, well, it's the general word of God. You heard this before? The general word of God that will stand and endure. Yeah, it's, well, it's a general meaning. It doesn't have to be word perfect. Well, turn to Matthew 4. The overall meaning. It's just, you know, we, we have an idea of what he wanted us to think and we can help you understand that. Well, what does Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, what did Jesus say? When he's being tempted by the devil, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Jesus said that we need every word, didn't he? Every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. And look, again, in case you're wondering, the NIV says, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The ESV says, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The New King James says, but he answered, said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So again, the false perversions agree that we need every word. They agree that it was preserved, that it, or at least God said that he would preserve it. They agree that we need every word to live. So they agree with all of this. So where is it? Where's every word? Where's every word of the Bible? Because they say, these same people will then say it's only inspired in the originals. So how does that work? Now, we also believe it was inspired in the originals, don't we? But we also, we do believe that it shall stand forever. Matthew 24, 35 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Okay? That's plural, words. Not just the general feeling, the general, you know, gist of what he's saying. My words shall not pass away. So, how did God preserve his words? How did he preserve it? And, and this is kind of a bit of a summary of it. Um, and you can go into this a bit more if it's something you're interested in. You, but, oh, I mean, I suppose ultimately it does come to faith, you know, when all's said and done. But, but this is the general way it was done. You've got a line of manuscripts now known as the Old Testament Hebrew and Aramaic Masoretic text, yeah? 
And the New Testament Greek Textus Receptus is what we know of as their name today. So, so the, the argument is, so where are the originals? Where are those original manuscripts? Well, they're long gone, aren't they? There's no such thing as the original manuscripts anymore, and for good reason too. I mean, firstly, would they have survived? I mean, anyone got any books past sort of 100 plus years old, and they, they're not in too good condition, even if you never open them. Okay, actually, I inherited a load of kind of just old books that I felt I just didn't want to be in. You kind of think they must be worth something. They're not worth anything, you know. It's just really hard to bid these things, you know. So I've got quite a lot of different books, and, and they're, they're falling apart, you know. And, and we don't even touch them, and they're falling apart. And they're falling apart more the more, you know, even if you just kind of glance at it, it looks like it's going to collapse, yeah. And that's, that's generally what happens. But could you imagine if there was somehow someone would find a way of preserving there was an original manuscript? Can you imagine the, the, the pilgrimages to wherever it was, a worship of that manuscript? It wouldn't be, oh, that, that, because it's the word of God. It's because it's the original manuscript. Okay? So obviously not preserved in that way. But it was God who ordained the principle of making copies. So it's actually God that ordained that of his exact words. So if you turn to Deuteronomy 17, where God is giving instructions for when they set a king over them. So, of course, he, he's, you know, we see many times the Bible him telling, them, telling them to write down the words. But here, he's talking about copying. Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 18, talking about when a future king. He says, and it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book, out of that which is before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, Notice that's all the days of his life, not, you know, we'll take, take a day off now and again. All the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them. That his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, and that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. So that's not just a general copy, is it? Okay, that's not, well, you know, the king needs to just write down a few, few of his favourite bits. He just needs to put it in his own words. No, that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book. Then it's talking about him keeping all the words of this law. Okay, and that's back in Deuteronomy, telling, telling basically then for a future king to make copies of the word of God. And then we see an example of this in Proverbs. You don't have to turn there, Proverbs 25.1, which says, These are also Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied out. Okay, so that's the king there. That's the king Hezekiah basically getting his men to copy the words of Solomon. Okay, so again, that's copying the words of the Bible. And this copying by the priesthood and scribes basically continued and continued and continued. So to the point when two different comparisons of several hundred Masoretic texts were done back in the, eight, in the 18th century, they all basically agreed with each other. Okay? So that's just continued with people being just really strict on making sure every single word is copy, 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 copy. And that's how the word of God was preserved in the Old Testament. Now, that's the same way basically that it worked with the Greek New Testament as well. So turn to 2 Peter 3, where we see Peter describing Paul's epistles as scripture. And just, just to give you a little introduction as, uh, as how that started with these writings. Because the Greek New Testament as well ended up being copied. And 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, it says, An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, is written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. So that's Peter calling Paul's epistles scriptures. See that there? That's Peter calling Paul's epistles scripture because there are many that try and claim, oh, Paul's writings. No, Paul like, went off on a tangent. Paul, you know, especially like the sort of Judaizer types who are quite upset with Galatians and other books of the New Testament. Well, 
basically the rest of the 27 books well were pretty much unanimous, unanimously agreed on by the early churches okay it wasn't oh well they're still you know they're arguing about which books to add or not because God's hand was clearly upon it and eventually we had what was known as the New Testament okay with that agreed 27 books now these these manuscripts were also copied okay copied and can be traced back to the church at Antioch where where you don't have to turn to where the Bible says in Acts 11 26 and the disciples were f were called Christians first in Antioch Okay, and that's, you know, in comparison to the Alexandrian text, which Alexandria isn't where, where people were first called Christians. We, we get a different vibe from, from Alexandria, but we're not going to go into that for now. Now, so these were known as a traditional text, okay, these copied manuscripts. And eventually, after first being printed in 1516, remember this was all hand copied. After first being printed in 1516, they were then known as the Textus Receptus or received text, Okay from 1516 after the first printing and there were a couple more prints done of that um, now it was this he hebrew masoretic text and the greek textus receptus that all of the previous english bibles were translated from okay it wasn't oh well there was one from this no they were all oh, this was just the accepted the received text okay the that that was what people used that was the bible there wasn't really any debate about that now these men were then, so what happened is, sorry, on 22nd of July, 1604, King James of England announced that he appointed 54 Hebrew and Greek scholars to produce a Bible, which we know today, obviously, as a King James authorised version. Okay, now it started with 54, it ended up being 47 in the end, and some actually died during it, and, um, and there was other reasons why, why it was whittled down, but 47 men translated the King James Bible. Um, and, and there's been nothing like it since, and it was nothing like it before. I mean, this was just an unbelievable work. The, the minds, the men that did this as well, were, were, were unparalleled and still are to this day. Now, now I've heard it described as this in, in back in, you know, the 1600s, when the, the great sort of intellects of the day chose to do something at university or, you know, to, for higher learning, um, whereas nowadays they might go into some of the, you know, nuclear physics or whatever it is, or, you know, uh, all, all these kind of other, other vocations. There was a lot of the time it was the classics, you know. People with just, you know, those minds, that ability, especially for, for translation and everything else. There were men there that knew, like, over 20 languages, I mean, and, and could speak them fluently and write them fluently. There, there were just, there, there were some amazing people now. Now, here's the thing. People look, well, were they even saved? Were they baby sprinklers? Were they? It doesn't matter, does it? God, God had his hand upon this. This was unparalleled. This, this was amazing what he did here. And that, that's the thing, is it? They just did 100% accurate translation. Okay, now, they were organised into six groups. And this is how they did it as well, which you won't see with modern Bibles here. They were organised into six groups which were to meet separately, okay? So two groups met at Cambridge, two at Oxford, two at Westminster. Then they were basically designated a certain portion of Scripture to translate into the English language, each group. Now, each scholar first made his own translation, then passed it on to be reviewed by each other member of his group. When each section had completed a book of the Bible, it was sent to the other five groups for their independent criticism as well. In this way, each book went through the hands of the entire body of translators. Uh, now, again, if you look in comparison and you look at maybe how how one of the modern Bibles is done, you'll have like a couple of people working on one part and a couple of people on the other. But this has gone through everyone. This was, that, and they, if you've ever, anyone ever read the, uh, the, the dedicatory at the beginning of the King James Bible? Okay, and, and they have a, a real reverence for the Word of God and a fear of making one error, a real fear. And no wonder when, and we're going to see some of the passages, why. Now, seven years after this, and by the way, when they have these translation committees doing these new Bibles, They'll meet up, you know, once a month and stuff over a period of time. They'll meet a certain amount of months. These guys were just full-time at this. Seven years, seven years later, in 1611, the King James Bible was completed. And by the way, they did have access to every resource around. They had access to every text. King James basically gave them access to everything they needed. And, and it, it was, there was no stone unturned. So it wasn't, oh, well, they just didn't have this great, you know, perverted text, which just you know, which doesn't agree with anything else. No, they had access to everything, but their Bible was, was based on the Greek Texas Receptus and the Hebrew Masoretic. Now, like I said, these were men of, of unparalleled skill in, in, in basically translation and everything else. And they even, when they did this, I was reading about this, they even 
put it up to be reviewed by just men in the land. Any, anyone could review their work and have a look at what they were doing while it was going on as well. So there were you know, people in churches all over England uh, who were welcome to have a look and, and give their opinion on certain translations of things as well. So people that, that spoke other languages as well. So it wasn't just this secret thing where they just secretly did it and then made their own start. No, they wanted it to be the best, the most accurate translation they could. They took it seriously. And for me, and, and I hope this is getting across to you, there's no doubt that God used the King of England and these men to yeah. preserve his word. Okay, There's no doubt at all. And because as well to translate into the language which was to become the number one language in the world wasn't it that was to become the language which is known everywhere in the world yeah it might not be you know oh as a first language like most people have english to some degree as some sort of second and third language yeah okay let alone the amount of people that do speak it as a first language and 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 what an expressive language as well i don't know if you you know anyone learned different languages i mean english is hard to learn for people that that as a second language because of the amount of words the the rich vocabulary the way you can pretty much say anything in english can't you there are enough words to do it the trick is learning all those words, isn't it? And for us as native speakers, it's hard to know every word, let alone for people that learn it as a second language. But, but it's such a rich language. It's what a great language to be able to translate the word of God into accurately. Um, okay, so this, so this preserved word of God has then gone throughout the world since, hasn't it? Okay, so it's gone, it's gone, you know, it's gone to the furthest corners of the world. And, and you know, English... English speaking men of God have gone over all the world with this King James Bible and we can see the fruit of that can't we as well with this King James Bible since 1611 and there was no real it wasn't like oh well this was our favorite you know within a short amount of time that was the Bible wasn't it that was the Bible the King James Bible um why is it so important then why is it so important because some some people go well they sound pretty similar well you know i've just read you some verses and it, they said pretty much the same thing didn't they so why is it such an important why is why do we find it so important that it's the king james bible and only the king james bible that that we read that we preach from that we go out and preach the gospel um well go back to first peter one first peter chapter one it's important because number one it's the difference between heaven and hell. Okay? It's the difference between heaven and hell. First Peter chapter 1, and we saw from verse 23 where it said, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And it says in verse 25, And this is a word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Verse 23 says that we aren't born of corruptible seed, doesn't it? So if the corruptible seed is the, sorry, if the incorruptible seed is the word of God, what's the corruptible seed? What's the corruptible seed? What's he comparing it to here? Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. It's the corrupted word of God, isn't it? The corrupted word of God. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Because ever since the Garden of Eden, Satan and his minions have been questioning, changing, adding to taking away from God's word, okay? Ever since, <coughs> 2 Corinthians 2.17, the Bible reads, for we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God speak we in Christ. But when Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, there were already many, many that were corrupting the word of God. And that has only continued, hasn't it, to now where we have, if you include revisions, I often say to people about 400 versions. If you include all the different revisions, it's over 900. 900 different versions and revisions in English. So if God promised that it would stand or abide forever, which he clearly did, that we needed every word, which one is it? 900 different versions of revisions. So what on earth? You might sit here and maybe not. I think most people here probably get this, but you might sit here and think over 900 revisions. What? Why? Why are there 900 revisions? For the love of money, isn't it? Filthy lucre. Okay, it's one thing corrupting and giving us, you know, some different, different versions, making it confusing. It's another to just keep doing revision after revision after revision because they change it enough to copyright it again to sell it. Yeah, it's all about money, isn't it? See, they have to have, don't they, a few percent difference to be able to copyright it again. 
And I think that changes depending on where you are. But, um, and basically, they're all marketed, aren't they? They're marketed as easy to read, as a better this. You've seen, you might have seen adverts for some of these before. And sold, and the publisher gets their palm greased with silver every time they're sold. Okay? And apart from one. One Bible that has no copyright. Guess what that's called? King James Bible, no copyright, no, no issue reprinting. You can just go and print it if you want and sell it if you want. You don't have to grease anyone's palm with silver. The King James Bible, isn't that a coincidence? How's it the difference, though, between heaven and hell? So how's it the difference between heaven and hell? Well, if we're born again of incorruptible seed, the word of God, there can't be X amount of versions all saying something different. So take John 3.16, for example. Okay, we all know that verse. You can turn it if you want, but I'm sure you know it off by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He gave his only begotten Son. The NIV says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in, in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Hear that? His one and only Son. The ESV says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Is that a true statement? It's false. It's false. It's corrupted. It's false. Because you look at that and you look at, you know, John 1, 12, and to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. You're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And you look at verses like that and you just think, well, that doesn't make sense. That's a lie. That's false. That's wrong, isn't it? So that's corruptible seed. Now, you say, well, it's not a big deal. Well, it is a big deal, isn't it? That's a massive deal. Okay, his only begotten son, the only one begotten from the dead. Okay, that's Jesus Christ. Now, how about Romans 10.9? I think most people here probably like to go to Romans 10.9 when they're preaching the gospel to people. The NIV says, because as we know, you know, the, the KJV says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Yeah. The NIV says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The ESV says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Sounds a bit like you're willing to make him Lord of your life, doesn't it? Doesn't that? When you see that, if you confess that Jesus is Lord, you're willing to, you know, to turn from your sin, maybe. You're willing to make him Lord of your life. You're willing to do whatever it is they think you should do, whatever someone's telling you you need to do. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That's not what the Bible says, is it? And that, again, that's corruptible seed, isn't it? That's corruptible seed that just, just starts to make you think it's something else for salvation, doesn't it? Yeah. Now, we'll look at the more subtle New King James Bible in a minute, because it doesn't actually change those verses there. Um, but these corrupt manuscript to modern perversions based on them love to attack the deity of Christ as well. Okay, so it's not just salvation. They attack many, many doctrines of the Bible. Turn to 1 Timothy 3.16. The deity of Christ is one of them. No wonder they're favoured by the Jehovah's false witnesses and many others. 1 Timothy 3.16, a famous verse says, And without controversy, great is a mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Who was manifest in the flesh? God. God. The NIV says, beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. It's so hard to read. I'd ever try to read it. It's like you start to like get garbled trying to read it. Um, he appeared in the flesh. He, who's he? He appeared in the flesh. So beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. The ESV says, great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. So the NIV and ESV reduce it from God to he. Yeah, from God to he. But, you know, that's just a precursor to what they do to 1 John 5, 7. So turn to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7. Again, a famous verse in the Bible. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Now, verse 8 then contrasts with verse where it says, and there are three that bear witness in earth, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. 
Okay, what does the NIV do here? The NIV says, verse 7, yeah? Have a look down at your King James Bibles. The NIV says for verse 7, for there are three that testify. Okay, that's the end of verse 7. Then verse 8 says, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three are in agreement. <laughs> They've just cut it out. Yeah. Cut it out, maybe it was a pen knife, like in Jeremiah 36. They've just removed the Trinity. The ESV does the same. Look at, so again, look down again. The ESV, verse 7, for there are three that testify. That's the end of verse 7. Colon, verse 8, the spirit and the water and the blood and these three agree. How wicked is that? Yeah. Huh? Let's just cut out the Trinity out of the Bible. Right. Just cut it out. And this is just a small selection of the wickedness of these so-called Bibles. And look, you could spend, you could do a sermon series on this, couldn't you? Could be interesting, but you could do a series. I'm not going to go into loads and loads and loads of them. Look, if you, if you want to know them, look, many people have done many great lists of this stuff. It's pretty easy to find and pretty easy to check. Considering all these Bibles online, you don't even have to go and spend your hard-earned money on this sort of filth. But the new King James, though, is a bit more subtle. Okay, so because there are different levels depending on how far you want to defile yourself. Okay, so the new King James is kind of a way of just going somewhere in between, you know, maybe people that are, that are saved and maybe just think a little bit more about this so you can go to the salvation verse and they look pretty similar. Okay, but turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. 1 Corinthians 1.18. Okay, the King James Bible reads, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. What does the New King James say? For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So the New King James Bible is calling it a process. It's calling getting saved a process, being saved. You are being saved. How are you being saved? Maybe that was an accident. Maybe that was just a one-off, the new King James. You know, these men are fallible, aren't they? Well, turn over to 2 Corinthians in chapter 2. 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 15, where the King James Bible reads, for we are unto God a sweet savour of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. The New King James Version says, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So again, being saved. So no accident. The New King James is calling salvation a process, isn't it? Call your salvation a process. Even though verse after verse after verse in the Bible makes it clear it's a one-time deal. It's a one-time deal. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Okay, how, dif how difficult is that? Have everlasting life. You know, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. That's a one-time deal, isn't it? You pass from death unto life when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ's salvation. And... Look, the, these Bibles are wicked, aren't they? And the New King James is subtly wicked. Okay, it's a lot more subtle about it. And by the way, that's the same in both the NIV and ESV. And I, I, I got sick of it after that. Um, and again, look, for sake of time, this is just a small, small section of many, many clear corruptions, yeah, in three of the most common Bible perversions. But look, they're full of it. And look, you could go, you could start reading junk like the message, yeah, anyone, anyone ever see, seen that before? Wow, I read a little bit to my daughter uh, the other day and she was pretty, was it last night? And she was, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty uh, amazed by it. But um, look, it's important because it is a difference between heaven and hell, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So how, if we're born, of, born again of incorruptible seed, this corruptible seed ain't getting you saved, is it? No, no, it's not getting you saved. But number two, it's a difference between walking and stumbling as well. So as a saved Christian, it's a difference between walking and stumbling because, again, you have to turn a bit. If Psalms 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, without the word with a fake lamp, we're in trouble, aren't we? Yeah. You're in trouble. Without that stumbling around with, with a lamp that doesn't work in the dark, you're going to get yourself in trouble, aren't you? Okay. Uh, turn to Genesis 3 while I read John 17.17. 17. It's... 
It's a light unto our feet, a, uh, sorry, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So we're cleansed, purified, made holy through the truth. Yeah? Through the truth. God's word is the truth, isn't it? But there can only be one truth by definition, can't there? There's only one truth in anything. You, you know, anything you look at, there's one truth. Jesus Christ is the truth, isn't he? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's only one way, isn't there? Jesus Christ, there's only one word of God, and that word of God is truth. Okay, if it's the truth, there's only one way. If it's not the truth, what's it going to do? If it's not the truth and we're sanctified through it, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth, it sounds like you're going to get dirty. Yeah. You're going to get filthy. Look at Genesis chapter 3. Okay, look, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So what's the first thing the devil does in the Bible? Question. Questions God's word. Yeah, questions God's word. Questions the holy word. Questions what God has said. And we see that to this day, don't we? Did God really say that? Or maybe the King James Bible is wrong. Maybe they got it wrong. Maybe this one. Maybe that one's wrong. Oh, well, I'm not, I'm not so sure. Look, I, I've been at churches where, where the, they'll literally stand up and go, well, the NIV says this, the ESV says this, the RSV says that, but the, um, I'm trying to think of another one here, <laughs> the NLT renders it correct here. And you're looking at this guy. <laughs> Like, you don't even speak Greek, yeah? What are you talking about, yeah? And, and they're literally standing there trying to make everyone think, you know, that they are some sort of, you know, real linguist, you know, real scholar of the languages. And then you look around and you see that yeah, people are just kind of, wow, wow. <laughs> you know, like, what a, what a man, you know, what a pastor. Thank God that we've got a pastor that's got a lexicon, yeah, and has decided what God has said. But, but they're questioning, did he really say that? Did he really say it like that? Did he really say that? Well... Look at verse 2 then. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. So first he questions it, then what comes next? The outright lie. So it starts with questioning the word of God, putting doubt. Did he really say that? Are you sure what he really said? And it's like, no, he said this. And it's a lie. It's a lie, isn't it? He says, he says, ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Come read our easier to read version. You'll know much more then, yeah? You'll be as gods. You'll know the different, you know, we'll help you understand God's word more than everyone else. Those guys of that archaic King James, you'll know it better with our easier-to-read version. Ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And like I said, I've been in churches where they do that. But I've also been in, in, in a church which claimed to be King James only, which was more, you know, you, can put, you see these sometimes if you ever looked at these kind of searches for King James churches. And they'll have like King James is inspired or King James is preserved or King James. And, and this would be what you call King James preferred. Because they'll say, well, we're Texas Receptus men, yeah? Well, what, do they, what did he mean? Well, what he meant by that is that when he preaches, he will then just, when he doesn't like something, just correct and say the King James translator's got that wrong. Mm -hmm. Who are you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. A guy doesn't speak another language, yeah. let alone Greek or, or Hebrew. But he'll, standing up there saying, no, well, this, you know, they, they basically, they copped out here on, on immersion and they, they went for, you know, baptised instead and blah, blah, blah. It's just... Sorry, who are you? But, but, and this is what these guys do. And that, that goes on. And what, what's that doing? That's basically saying, yeah, hath God said, isn't it? Yeah, yeah hath God said because the pastor wants to make himself appear to be cleverer, make, make himself appear, basically make himself the final authority instead of God's word. Yeah. Uh, and why does someone want to do that? Because they're not preaching the word accurately, are they? Yeah. So then they become the final authority and people will only listen to them instead of the word of God. Instead of going, I'm going, but the Bible said something a bit different. Well, he must understand it more because he understands when the King James Bible translates, they got it wrong. It's wicked, isn't it? Isn't that wicked? 
And that's more subtle. It is. It's disgusting because it's a more subtle wickedness, isn't it? Because you go there thinking, well, this is the King James Church. But no, no. They're just King James preferred, I think, is what they call it. Um, okay, so you've got here the first time in the Bible. And first are important, aren't they? And the first time we ever see the devil, he's questioning God's word, then he's lying about God's word. Okay, and that's a tactic which has continued, hasn't it? Yeah. Continued throughout time. Um, now, what happens then is, you, like I said, you have, instead of thus saith the Lord, you have thus saith the pastor. Okay, which obviously is not a situation you want to get into. But when it's, when it's basically questioning the word of God, or basically in their version, this is what the pastor says, and this is what you have in these, because none of them are claiming that their Bible is the preserved, inspired word of God. In all these false versions, they're not, are they? They're standing there and just going, well, you know, and they'll change little bits and go to another version on this and go to, well, we prefer this one, but we also, we welcome all old Bible versions into our church, even though they all say something different. Absolutely crazy, isn't it? But, but this is on top of the fact that these Bible perversions weaken sin. So not only is then you've got this situation where the pastor himself is choosing, but the versions themselves, they weaken sin, they weaken doctrine, they lie, they remove multiple verses. Yeah. And look, you might sit here thinking, well, they're all unsaved anyway. But they're not. That's the thing is now, yeah, okay, we're kind of many years down the line from how much this has been pushed. It, there's probably a lot less saved people because obviously they're not getting saved by anything other than the word of God, the King James Bible. But there are still, to this day, there are, and there are still churches that are still getting their heads turned and going to the new King James or going to something else. But, but maybe there are people in there that are already saved. And look, just because you're saved doesn't mean you're just automatically going to just, right, that's it, I'm off. Yeah, my, you know, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. But there are many reasons people stay in, in false churches, in weak churches, in churches with false Bibles. There are many reasons people do that. And uh, there are saved Christians that have been polluted, that have been made filthy by these false versions, aren't there? That's weakened them. There are people that still to this day, oh, sadly, they're hopefully not, but people amongst us, amongst our type of people that will still go online and then start reading commentaries and essays and, and, and or listening to preaching by people with false Bibles. False Bible, why do you want to listen to that junk for? What do you want to read that junk for? It's junk. It's rubbish. It's a lie. It's filthy. And it will filthy you. It will make you dirty as well. How much sin do you think these people are getting out of their lives? Do you think they're walking right? Or do you think they're stumbling? I'd say they're stumbling. How much are they doing for God with a false Bible version? I would say much less than they would be with a real Bible version. They're stumbling around in the dark with a broken yeah. torch, aren't they? They're stumbling around. Now turn to Psalm 12, because you can't talk about Bible preservation without Psalm 12, can you? You're probably thinking, where's Psalm 12? What's this guy doing? Sort of an amateur, is he? Well, let's have a look at Psalm 12. We'll start from the beginning, Psalm 12, because I, I, I think it all kind of, you know, in a way you can see all of it in there. Psalm 12 and from verse 1 reads, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. That's the result of fake Bibles, isn't it? When the godly man ceaseth with a corrupted word of God. They speak vanity, every one with his neighbor, with flattering lips, and with a double heart do they speak. Now, that's your wannabe scholar, liberal, wet blanket Christian, isn't it? Yeah. Speaking vanity with his neighbor with flattering lips and with a double heart. Mm -hmm. they, they're trying to make out like they're so intellectual, they've studied the word of God, but really, really it's a double heart, isn't it? They just want to sound clever. They want to, they want to lift themselves up. It's all about promoting themselves. And if you've been at these churches or spoken to these people where they seem to think they're some sort of self-styled scholar themselves i mean these guys are they're wicked verse three the lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things because there's a lot of pride coming from these self-styled intellectuals isn't there it's all pride who have said with our tongue will we prevail our lips are our own who is lord over us yeah basically we decide what god says yeah our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? We'll tell you what the Bible really means. We'll tell you what the Bible should say. Verse 5, for the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy. Now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. A lot of money in this false translation game, by the way. Now verse 6, the word, words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. 
Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Only inspired in the originals. Buried in a Catholic vault for over a thousand years. Hidden in a cave by the Dead Sea for nearly 2,000 years? Or did he say, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever? Then verse 8, The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. And these are vile men, okay? Make no mistake about it. These men that are getting exalted as some sort of Bible experts, these Bible scholars, these these tr people on these new translation committees, these are vile men, okay? And they're being exalted, aren't they? They're being exalted above the word of God. They can help you understand. They'll help you know what God sh should, you know, what he really meant, what you should have understood by it. These are vile, vile men. It says the wicked increase on every side when the vilest men are exalted. So when these people are exalted, when these, you know, archaeological types who seem to think that they've found something better and, you know, they've studied it more and they understand it more, well, then the wicked increase as well. And you get more and more wicked people because you get less trust in the word of God. You get less of the word of God, which we are seeing, aren't we? I mean, a lot of these churches, okay, there might have been, there might have been false churches, a lot of them, but there was still the word of God out there. Now, what, what, what's left in it? You ever look for King James churches in this country? It just seems less and less every time, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, and that's dropped a lot because it wasn't like that. This is a country where the King James Bible was written, where it went out from. Right. And you get to a point where it's hard to find a church that uses one. Yeah. Unbelievable, isn't it? But these are vile men. They are vile. Turn to Revelation chapter 22. Because like I said, like Jehoiakim, cutting out pages and burning them in, in Jeremiah 36. These vile men are adding and removing what they don't like from God's word. Even though Matthew 5.18 says, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Okay, that's like, you know, basically like the dot on an I, you know. None of that is passing, let alone just changing, let alone taking out whole verses. Revelation 22 verse 18 is a warning, isn't it? For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Why are they the vilest of men? Because what are they when they do this? When they do this, they're, they're, he says, exactly, God shall take away his part out of the book of life. That's it. They're done. They're, they're unsaved reprobates. They cannot be saved. So what does that mean? That they're given over to a reprobate mind. These are the vilest of men. Yeah, the vilest of men. And the result of these vile men taking out verses, just butchering the word of God, just messing with the book, which is what they're doing, aren't they? Messing with the word. I mean, you've got to be something, haven't you, to just be messing with the book like that, just taking out what you don't like, changing words, promoting it. I mean, that is evil, isn't it? That's wicked. When you know, you know that salvation comes from the word of God. You know that, that to be able to strengthen those that are saved, to go out and preach the word of God, to live right, to be holy. We saw in that in, in 1 Peter chapter 1 where we were. To be ye holy, for I am holy. To be, you need the word of God, don't you? Yeah. Yes, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Yeah, that's how we're clean. That's how we're made holy. And these people are, are wicked. They're evil. And the result is a load of watered down Christians. Yeah, the ones that are saved. Watered down with watered down morals. Making it up as they go along. Deciding being the final authority themselves. Or making their, you know, their, their one term of Greek pastor the final authority stumbling around instead of walking in the truth that's what they're doing aren't they stumbling around you meet these people you come across these ones that are saved that, that are still using a false version and and they're just stumbling around aren't they stumbling around just don't even know where they're going they, they're this the blind leading the blind but we're so blessed aren't we to have this king james bible aren't we blessed to have this you know we're, we're you know we we I think we take it for granted, can't we? That you've got in front of you, you've got the, the pure words of God. 
the pure words of God preserved for you, preserved forever, that we know we'll always be able to have, that we can access, that we have, that we can read, we can learn from, we could just get joy from as well, can't we? Because it's not just, oh, well, it's just going to make me that better. But it's like, just the joy of reading it, isn't there? Just the richness in it. Just, so, so, you know, there's such depth in the Word of God. And we have that. We've had it preserved. We had it given to us. Yet people say people still choose or at least get conned by that easy-to-read lie or whatever else it is. A better, oh, well, it will help you understand it more. I saw some, some, one of these adverts recently about, you know, that it's being worked on by Jewish scholars. Just, <laughs> wow. <laughs> the literal enemies of God, you know. But look. We're blessed, aren't we? We're blessed. But if we have the King, you can't, you know, and I know we've been talking about this through the Gospel of John a bit, but you can't preach on the King James Bible without making the obvious point, yeah? We have the Word of God. We have the preserved Word of God in our hands. Let's make sure we're reading it, eh? Let's make sure everyone in this church, everyone watching online, every single person is putting, their, putting the time into reading something that was painstakingly preserved for us. Yeah, people were burnt at the stake, you know, yeah. for attempting to translate this Bible into English for us. Yeah, the devil has tried his best. He's tried many ways. More recently now that it's these false Bible versions which are trying to pull people away. But it will be banned again, won't it? It, it is in many countries. It will be here at some point. At least they're going to make it harder. They're claiming it's hate speech, aren't they? But... We still have it, don't we? We have the Word of God. Let's, let's, while, while it's so easy to have it as well, let's enjoy it, let's read it, let's study it, let, let's make sure that we're meditating on it day and night, yeah? And, and we have the Word of God. And what an amazing word it is. You have to turn over at Psalm 119, verse 140 says, Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. I don't know about you, but I love the King James Bible. On that, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this King James Bible. I thank you for preserving your word like you promised to do so. It shouldn't be any surprise to us, but sadly it is to so many people around the world that you preserved your word, that we have that here in English in the King James Bible. And I thank you for that. Um, thank you for, for this church. Thank you for, for a lot of people here that love your word, that love the King James Bible. Help us to, to, to carry on loving it, you know, to, to put that into practice by by reading it daily, by meditating on it, by, by making sure we're just in your word, we're immersed in your word and help us to go out this, this afternoon and preach your word, your, your incorruptible word to, to people to get them born again um, and, and help us to just, just get people saved this afternoon, to come back to church this, this evening as well and to have a great service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.